Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the show. On this episode of the podcast, we will be discussing everything Glenn Morangi. We'll go through the history of the distillery, current news, and of course, our personal favorite aspect of the show, the tasting. With me, as always, is my intrepid and brilliant co-host, Andy Kleshik. Andy, how you doing today? Doing pretty good. Uh, recovering from a trip or work trip up to New York City, but other than that, not bad. Um, pretty good trip? Yeah, pretty good trip. I mean, nothing too crazy or anything like that to complain about. Okay. You know, John's got some... Glad to hear some exciting news that John will hopefully be able to share soon on the podcast. Yeah, we got some big news. Hopefully, we'll be re- we'll be re- unveiling unveiling soon. Uh, not quite there yet, but fingers crossed that everything's going to go as planned. Uh, but I'm really excited about this one. I've never tried this this uh, scotch before. Um, I, I, I've read up on it a little bit, and it sounds very interesting. So uh, I'm really excited. So why don't we jump on in, Andy? Tell them every everyone out there. Tell them what they need to know about Glen Morangi. Of course. So Glen Morangi, uh, they were founded in 1843 in the town of um, Tain, Scotland. Uh, it's another Highlands single malt Scotch whiskey. My favorite. Yeah, <laughs> the ones you seem to like the most are the Highlands. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they were founded initially, actually, on the Morangi farm, um, and it was they were founded there after the um, initial owner William Matheson bought out the owners of the former brewery that was established on that same farm um and that brewery was established all the way back in like the 1730s or something like that so he ended up buying out the property and all that and just converted the brewery from brewing beer to brewing and distilling whiskey nice (laughs) um so fairly easy transition um and a lot of people try to well I've heard that's a more effective way to try to do it here yeah. in the states as well. It's 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 an easier way to do it because they both share a lot of the same steps. Right, but it's kind of um, easier to get a brewery started. Eh, it's quicker to turn over products. Sure, if nothing else, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> um, cool. but yeah, so he bought that brewery out and then just said, "Hey, like brewing beer, but whiskey, I'm sure, is probably more lucrative to do." Yeah. Uh, and at that time, I think they still had a lot of their laws that were kind of. Uh, under the UK crown and everything like that, that was very prohibitive against distilling whiskey. So Scotland being Scotland, you know, you got to screw the uh, English monarchy, <laughs> find a way to do it that way. Um, but, you know, prior to the brewery and obviously them setting up the distillery um, on the same premises, uh, legend goes that in that same like premises or in that same area of um, Tain in like Scotland as well. Uh, distilling had actually been going on in the town, or at least in the vicinity of the town, since like the Middle Ages. Gotcha. So like the thirteen or fourteen hundreds, something like that. Um, and of course, again, a lot like uh, the famous grouse that we were talking about last week. Uh, they had some gr- really great success early on. Um, again, part of that was due to the um. You know, the British monarchy coming in, visiting, and bringing back scotch and, like, introducing scotch and everything to uh, the English market. Um, and, you know, all their markets that they had related because they had a uh, empire still at the time. Um, but again, you know, that success kind of dwindled a little bit in the early 1900s, just 
World War II, but then the Depression and U.S. Prohibition. Um, but, you know, that was then quickly, you know, corrected after World War II just because they were able to get a lot more grain that wasn't being um, rerouted into, like, producing food for the troops and everything like that. You know, they were, um, were able to, and water short, you know, possible water shortages during that time because you were sitting there having the, during World War II at least, having to, you know, provide stuff for the troops, uh, that then allowed them to quickly distribute that water or reroute it back to the distilleries in Scotland and everything. Um, so they, you know, after World War II, kind of once those plans were allowed to, or the the stopping of all the troop movements and everything that required a lot of those grains and everything basically essential to distilling whiskey. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They were able to kind of expand again, and the town was able to expand as well. Uh, And, you know, they had some years after World War II, like the 40-ish years up until about 1983, they were doing well. Maybe not as great as they're doing now, but they were doing well during those years. Um, And since 1983, though, kind of what changed for them they um especially hitting the american markets uh and some of the american rules going on with like bourbon and stuff that happened just a slump in bourbon allowed them to expand a lot more into the u.s to eventually become the um leading at least for a time leading selling single malt scotch whiskey in the world um and then they ended up actually selling off some of their um barrels to other distilleries like for blended scotches mm. uh as well as the empty barrels prior to filling any of them up they um they have the, like their own forests in missouri that they use as to you know to cut down uh, oak for mm. the barrels and then um you know the maturing barrels that they use but coincidentally enough tying them into america beyond just having that they actually um, lease these barrels out at least to Heaven Hill and Jack Daniels to make their bourbons hmm. uh, and other you know related American whiskey products that they have that they mature. And then the both of them will Heaven Hill and Jack Daniels at least basically then sell them back to um, Glen Morangi to use as like an ex bourbon barrel um, finished Scotch whiskey. So it's something that, you know, kind of that co-collaboration between Scotland and America there to do that. I love that. I love that they're actually aging scotch and bourbon barrels. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, you know, that that's not necessarily a, like, uncommon thing you'll see. Mm. But it, um, that a lot of scotch brands will take, you know, once, since bourbon can only use a barrel once, and it has to be a new fill or, a, like, literally new charred oak barrel, you'll see a lot of brands take them. But it's good to see that they're setting up the collaboration early to say, hey, we'll give them to you and then lease them out to you and then you give them back to us and yeah. that collaboration yeah, I love from that. the start instead of just trying to buy them off a brand. For sure. Um, they also have um, the tallest stills in all of Scotland. Oh, wow. Apparently the tallest column skills, stills or pot stills in all of Scotland. Hmm. Uh, just kind of another neat fact about them. But, you know, they've been a very successful brand. Um Highly selling, you know, clearly by the amount of ones that the amount of different um, products that they have. You know, they have anywhere from a 12 or a 10 year all the way up to a 19 year old um, product offering. So a 10, 12, 14, 
15, eight, 15, two different 18 year offerings and a 19 year old, as well as a few different, and a 25 year old, um, you know, uh, scotches that they sell, but then they also have a few different, um, like finished casks or like finished scotches that they do like in, um, cognac cask finished or, uh, Malaga cask finished, uh, scotches that they do as well. Kind of like limited releases like that. But uh, most of their standard offerings are the age dated ones that I was saying earlier. Mm. Um, Luckily, our us today, we were able to get their ten uh, year old yeah. today to try. Uh, I know there's a few others we can find. Again, of course, it, with Glen Morangi, even though they're one of the better selling scotches in the world, you run into that issue of pricing. They're not, you know, you know, most of them are on the cheaper end of pricing, but they're still not necessarily cheap. I think you bought this for what, like fifty bucks? Yeah, fifty five bucks. Yes, yeah, fifty bucks. Yeah, so good. But, you know, good as far as most scotch goes, but still, if you're trying to get into scotch, maybe not the cheapest one to go for, to try. At least when you first go around. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, hopefully it ends up being worth the price. Yeah. Well, we're about to see. Absolutely we are. All right, folks. So we got, like Andy said, we got our 10-year-old poured here. So we're going to go ahead and dive right on into the tasting. As always, Andy, we're going to start with the nose. (laughs) <laughs> without splashing it splashing it in your face yeah ideally <laughs> not too bad i mean very very light and approachable yeah uh kind yeah especially floral, for a 10 year like florally maybe what are some notes you're picking up yeah definitely that that floral and honey note on it yep i get the honey kind of, take, kind of smells almost more like an irish whiskey to me or what I think like an Irish single malt whiskey. Yeah. And that you get those like floral and honey notes, a little bit more like approachable shortbread cookie notes on it. Um, I, I would get, like, if I didn't know for a fact that this was a Highland Scotch, I would almost confuse it for that. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> Let's give it a taste. Cheers. Cheers. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, definitely know, Definitely let you know on the palate that it's a scotch. Oh, for sure. A little smoky and peaty, but also light as well. I'm getting like some orange and honey flavors. Yeah, I get some of those kind of on the back end of it, my palate, for me on it. Um, for me on the front of the palate, though, I get like a kind of a casky note, a uh, like a peppery <clears throat> note that I would, like a lighter peppery note or something like that that I would you know, get off a rye, like I kind of, yeah, a rye I, I, I get that peppery note up front. Absolutely. But then it kind of evolves to like the mid and back palate for like those floral, light, like pear, honey, at like green apple, uh, or red apple notes on the back of the palate. Yeah. For sure. It goes down easy too. It's a, it's a really, I, I really enjoy it. It's a really yeah. lovely scotch. All right, folks, that's it from us this week. Make sure you go over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, really wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, leave a review, listen to and share every episode of the Skill Discussions. Please follow us on Instagram. We really do appreciate your guys' support. Have a great week. Pour yourself another whiskey, and don't worry. We'll be here to drink you the next week.